Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cove Church. It is so good to be with you today, and I hope you are enjoying the experience of summer, all that is rolled into the fun activities of this time of year. Um, Certainly part of that would be developing your summer playlist. That is the series we're on right now, calling it Summer Playlist. And a song that should be included, I think, on any summer playlist would be the 1972 classic by Johnny Nash, I Can See Clearly Now. If you get a chance, listen to that song, listen to it uh, maybe on the other side of this message just to bring this all together. But when you hear it, it is a song that is dedicated to going a new direction saying, I've been floundering amidst the rain, but today I head for blue skies. I've turned, I've made a change. The Bible has a word for that very thing. It's called repentance, Uh, to walk a new path in response to the love of God. And that is the subject that we tackle today here against uh, amidst the second message of our series that we are calling Summer Playlist, where we are moving through the decades, picking out popular songs that point to eternal truths. And the hope in doing that is that we would experience a greater uh, reference point when it comes to the love of Jesus, a greater impact on our hearts when it comes to the fullness that Jesus has for us. In fact, that truth is brought out by our series scripture. I would invite you to read it with me right where you are. Big voices, go. The thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they could have life. Indeed, so they could live life to the fullest. It brings this idea that even amidst the challenges of life, that our relationship with Jesus allows us to approach those uncertainties with hope and even with joy that we can experience the fullness of Christ regardless of our situation, that in Jesus our lives can be marked by this breathless anticipation regarding the next adventure that God has for us. I don't know about you, I love adventures. Throughout my life, I have always loved new experiences. Um, As a kid, it was going camping in the high lakes and the smell of the pine trees and the smell of mosquito repellent. All that together just creates a lasting memory. Uh, I can remember the long drive south on I-5 to go visit our family in San Luis Obispo, California. 105 degrees in an unair conditioned Pinto station wagon. Listening to ABBA's greatest hits on 8-track. Those were some days. Even the trips that we would take to Winnemucca, Nevada, because it was the closest casino to our home. (laughs) That was fun, although certainly not an ideal childhood vacation, but still fun. Because they were adventures. They were breaks to the daily grind. And I loved them so much in my early years, and I love them even more as I've gotten older. But I also know as much as I love adventure, adventures aren't comfortable. And and that's really the life that Jesus calls us to. We know that these things are good and they're necessary, but they are not comfortable. That's part of the challenge of repentance. So let's begin first with an understanding of repentance. It literally means to turn 180 degrees, to go the opposite direction. 
as it's saying, I was headed this way, now I'm going to head this way. And, and we must learn how to do this because the primary message of Jesus wasn't, I need you all to clean up your act. It wasn't, I need you to check off this list of religious behaviors. No, the primary message of Jesus was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is saying to all of us, I'm inviting you to a new way, to a new road, to a new journey. That, that maybe my focus has been on the kingdom of this world, but now my focus is to be on the kingdom of God. And what we'll see today is that journey of repentance, that new direction, will invariably lead us to engage uncertain roads, places we haven't been. A great adventure, yes, but, but an, an adventure that will at times make us feel out of sorts, maybe feel uncomfortable, maybe feel unclear. And yet in that, I am so encouraged by this truth. The beauty of God's promised land is often preceded by the uncertainty of the wilderness. And so as uncomfortable as that wilderness road can be, maybe the one you're on today, it's worth it. As uncomfortable as pruning is, the fruit is worth it. And if we are to follow Jesus, it will involve a life of pruning, a life of repentance, of turning from that which leads to death in order to pursue that which brings life. And in that, there are some specific paths that repentance will ask us to walk. And the first one I would mention is this, that God invites us to repent of our unbelief. We're going to be in the book of John, chapter 16, starting in verse 7. Let's read it together. Big voices, go. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So Jesus says, I know you don't want me to go, okay? But it's a really good thing that I'm going because unless I go away, you don't get the helper. Now, what's, what's Jesus talking about? He's saying, if, if you would choose to walk the path of repentance, God will not make you walk that path alone. God's gonna give you a guide. Now, I don't know about you, but when I envision a guide, like a safari guide. I, I envision, you know, that, that guy in, in shorts and boots and, and, you know, he's got a pith helmet and an Australian accent, maybe a big knife. That's what I envision when I think of, of a safari guide. Fun fact, by the way, that's the kind of person that Paula originally thought she was going to marry before she met me. A red-haired Australian, probably a safari guide. Didn't work out. She met me. I wrecked the whole thing. Surprise. But that is the image, when I, when I think about it, of a wilderness guide, a safari guide. Yet right here, God offers the ultimate guide, the ultimate companion through the challenges of life. So who is that helper? Is not uh, camper's helper? Is not hamburger helper? Who is it? It's God's Holy Spirit. That's our helper. And the Greek word for this is parakletos. And I think it's one of my favorite Greek words, especially when you're talking about definitions for the Holy Spirit. Because helper is a nice word, but it's just not enough. It's just not enough. So here's the images of that word parakletos, the images of the paraclete. 
The first image of that word involves a, a boat out in a harbor. And let's say the, the boat comes in and it's, it's in trouble and it's starting to sink. Well, another boat would come alongside and, and lash ropes to the hole of that boat and take it into safety to keep it from sinking out in the deep. That boat was called the paraclete. It's an image of the Holy Spirit. A second image from that word is of a courtroom. And, and you're in trouble and, and, and there's accusations being leveled against you. And, and a person stands up as your defense, your defense attorney. And they are, they are engaging the judge on your behalf and, and, and saying, no, here's, here's, I, I want to speak about my client in this way. And they're, they're deflecting what's coming against you. That person, that defender, that's the paraclete. And, and then the last image uh, of, of this amazing word is uh, if you can envision the ancient Olympic Games, right? Don't envision too much. They were naked, but, but just envision games. <laughs> and uh, it's the end of the marathon. Well, at the end of the marathon, they would allow a person, maybe a coach or a, a, a fellow friend that's a, an athlete, they were allowed to run alongside you at the very end of your race. They couldn't touch you, but they could run alongside you to encourage you, to tell you not to give up. When you were at the end of your rope, they would be there to say, you can do this. And that person was called the paraclete. When I look at those images, and I think about this is, this is who God's Holy Spirit wants to be in my life. When, when I feel like I'm under attack, I know God's Holy Spirit is defending me. And, 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 and when I feel like I'm sinking, I know God's Holy Spirit is, is lifting me up and taking me to safety. And when I feel like I can't run anymore, God's Holy Spirit runs alongside me and says, you can make it. This is the gift of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. The ultimate helper, guide, comforter. And Jesus says when this helper comes, he will do three things. He'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then he says this, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So what's Jesus getting at? Jesus, I think Jesus' words in the book of Matthew might help give some clarity regarding what has been called maybe the, the unforgivable sin. Okay? It's always an interesting question. What, what's the sin you can't come back from? You know, is it, is it that lust or anger or drug use or smoking or leaving Legos on the floor or removing the tag from your mattress or, or, or you know, merging without putting on your blinker? What is the big sin? What's the, the doozy? The answer is right here. It's the sin of unbelief. Matthew 12, 31. Therefore, I tell you, that people will be forgiven every sin and insult to God, but insulting the Holy Spirit won't be forgiven. It's saying that rejecting God's Holy Spirit is rejecting relationship with God, saying, no, I don't want that. It's choosing not to listen to and not to believe God's Holy Spirit, which means accepting God's Holy Spirit then hinges on our belief. That God's Holy Spirit wants, above anything else, to move us from unbelief to belief. To convict us of those places where we, we don't trust God. Where, where, where we don't 
really see God's hope, where, where we're not sure we can count on God's promises. In those real moments where we're crying out saying, God, you told me that you wouldn't leave me and you wouldn't forsake me, but I feel like you did both. In those times it feels dark and it feels confusing and it feels unsettled. If there's any road that brings those feelings to mind, it is those roads through the wilderness, those dry times of our life, those painful times. And there is a sin that wants to beset us on those paths. It's like a predator waiting for its prey. A sin that is more devastating than any other. It is the sin of unbelief. That due to those moments of struggle, we would simply stop believing in God and stop believing God. We'd stop believing that light will dispel the darkness. We'd stop believing that good can come out of evil. We'd stop believing that God still has me in his hands. These are the moments that we desperately need God's Holy Spirit who comes alongside us and points to our unbelief and invites us to repent and believe again. The helper, the paraclete, wants to do that for you today. Maybe your rough roads have taken a toll on your belief in God, but God's Holy Spirit is showing you those gaps maybe even convicting you of places that you've stopped trusting God or places you never trusted God. But here's the truth for you today. Amidst that work, God does not convict us to condemn us. God convicts us to complete us. So let him. Let the helper help. Invite Jesus and God's Holy Spirit to your wilderness road because God invites us to repent of our unbelief. That's the first thing. Here's the second. God invites us to repent of mistaken righteousness. Repent of mistaken righteousness. John 16, 10. Let's continue the passage. Let's read it. Big voices. Go. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. All right. So Jesus is bringing more detail to what the helper will convict us in. Now speaking to us of righteousness. And he tells us what he means by that. He says, regarding righteousness, by saying, because I'm going to the Father, you won't see me anymore. Now, my first question is this, what does that have to do with righteousness? <laughs> What's the connection here? What does the, the travel plans of Jesus have to do with my expressing God's righteousness in my world? Well, here's a thought. It seems that Jesus is saying, that as long as I'm here with you, walking with you, speaking to you, teaching, healing, ministering, doing miracles, as long as I'm doing that, you have a live-in picture of righteousness. You know exactly what it looks like. It's like here in Eugene, we have what's known as nutria. It's, it's, it's what I would call a demon rodent. Okay, they're, 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 they're worse. They're giant rats, and they literally, they have little, little yucky rat tails, and they have demon red eyes and demon teeth. Okay, red teeth, red eyes. It, it's so awful. It is the stuff of nightmares when you see a nutria. I'm surprised Batman didn't go after those when he was considering, like, can I put on something that's going to bring fear into my enemies? Because that would do it. You know, I am, 
I'm, I'm Nutria, man, you know, and, and man, people, I, if I was a, a thief or something, I'd be so scared, like, yeah, you got me, that's it, man, red eyes, red teeth, I'd take me to jail, I give up, right? He should have done that. Nutria, man, would have been a great way to go. No one has to explain to me what a Nutria is, because they walk among us, right? But someone not from here, <laughs> you'd have to explain it to them, and they would think you're crazy. Now, Jesus is saying to the disciples, you don't have to guess what righteousness looks like because you've lived with righteousness for years. You've lived with me. Righteousness looks like Jesus. And he's saying, when I go to be with the Father, you won't have that live-in picture of righteousness anymore. So what do we do? Enter the Helper, God's Holy Spirit, who comes to remind us of what righteousness looks like. Namely, what it looks like to live like Jesus. That my life is now to be a picture of the righteousness of Jesus. Now, it's right at this moment you might go, oh no. <laughs> I'm supposed to be a picture of the righteousness of Jesus, and I'm not. So what do we do? I think 2 Corinthians offers some hope. It says, God caused the one who didn't know sin to be sin for our sake, so that through him we could become the righteousness of God. How to become a picture, how do I become a picture of the righteousness of Christ? I do so through Christ, by being found in Christ. That I draw close to Jesus, and then Jesus imparts his righteousness to me. Yet too often, I, I will flip that process around. I say, well, I'll change me first, and then after that, I'll get close to you, Jesus. i got to clean up a little bit, and then I'll get close to you, Jesus. The temptation is always to try to create our own righteousness, isn't it? Instead of trusting Jesus to impart his righteousness to us. See, we must remember, righteousness is found in our direction, not our perfection. It's a function of being with Christ, being in Christ. Psalm 24, 16. It says, the righteous may fall seven times, but still get up. But the wicked will stumble into trouble. So what's the difference between a righteous person and a wicked one? The righteous person gets up one more time than they fall down. That is a picture of repentance. And it's in that place those days where we are, we are tempted to stay down after we've fallen, our knees are scraped, our tears are making those trails through the dirt on our face, we're exhausted, we're weak, and we're not enough, that's when the helper comes, the paraclete, coming alongside our sinking ship, saying, I know you don't feel like you're enough, but with me, you are. It's only when we are found in Christ that his righteousness becomes ours. This is what we need. Too often, I think we attempt to achieve a picture of godliness in our life without God. And we have to repent of that. Say, Jesus, I'm desperate for you. Because God invites us to repent of mistaken righteousness. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. God invites us to repent of our limited justice. 
John 16, 11, let's finish out the passage. Big voices, go. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit, the, the helper, the paraclete, is convicting us concerning judgment. And here's the question. In this passage, who's the target of that judgment? The answer, that's the ruler of this world. Who's that? that that's uh, another name for the enemy, for Satan, for the devil, for Lucifer, for the, for the big meanie, for the, the lord of the dunghill. That's, that's the target being referenced here by Jesus. That's where God's judgment is focused on in this passage. And what that means to us is that the Holy Spirit will remind us that in all of the enemy's devastation that we experience, all the lies, all the pain, all the heartache, all the wounds we feel every day, be those things death or divorce or betrayal or prejudice or false accusation or abuse or loss, in all those things that God will bring justice to the author of sin, Satan. The one who has attacked our weakness from the beginning. The one who lies to us from the beginning. Just like it was with Jesus. When after 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, he was hungry. And it's then that Satan comes to tempt him at his weakest point. Why? Because Satan is an opportunist. And Satan is the same way with us. And where Jesus was victorious in that wilderness temptation, our scorecards don't always look quite as good. And many of us bear the scars of the battles that we have lost with the ruler of this world. And the promise here is that God will balance the scales bringing his judgment to the evil one who brought so much pain and continues to bring so much pain to all of us. And as Jesus said in the book of Luke, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, then he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Satan is certainly included as one through which temptation has come, you could even argue that all temptation ultimately originates right there. And the promise here is that one day God will right that wrong. And the injustice that we feel every day in this world will one day be made right by God. Yes, in his time and in God's way, but justice will be done. And I don't know about you, but that brings me hope. I'm so glad for the hope of a complete justice. Have you ever, have you ever been driving on the highway? You know, you're cruising along, you know, 55 miles an hour, cruising along. And somebody just comes flying by you, you know, just weaving in and out of cars, just going so fast. It looks, looks scary, and they're just, you know, moving, just obviously just crazy speeding. And you get a few more miles down the road, and you see them, they've been pulled over by a police officer, you know. And what's that feeling at that moment? It's like, ah, they got their justice, right? Oh, yes, they got them, right? But let's take that a step further. What if the reason that they were driving so fast that you could have never known about was that someone in the car is dying and they have to get to the hospital 
And if they don't get to the hospital within moments, they, that person is going to perish. How does my sense and understanding of justice add up then? The truth is our justice is always incomplete. It's always limited because we're incomplete. We're limited. We long for justice in this life and we should fight for justice in this life. But guess what? We will not see the fullness of justice in this life. Glimpses of it, yes, but not completeness. We will only see complete justice on that one day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. And on that day, this upside-down world will finally be made right. That is the hope of complete justice. And that's what the helper reminds us of in the moments that life feels so unfair that as bad as today might seem, it won't always be like this. And that whatever I view as just will always be limited because I'm limited. Knowing that, God invites us to repent of our limited justice. I'll wrap up with this. There's a story in First uh, Samuel 17. It's uh, right before David fights Goliath, you know, takes out Goliath. And, and David is actually bringing lunch to his brothers on the battlefield. And he hears Goliath taunting the Israelites, the whole army, just taunting them, inviting somebody. Will somebody come and fight me? He's, he's insulting them in every possible way. And David's just bringing lunch, but he hears all this, right? And he's like, and he starts to ask this question. He's like, you know, he's asking our soldiers, so if somebody takes this guy out, what do you get, right? I mean, what, what's the prize? Someone's going to take him out, right? What, what is that person going to get when they do it? And the other soldier's like, oh, it's, it's great, man. You'll get, you'll get riches. You're going to get the king's daughter. You're going to get no taxes forever. I mean, it's, it's amazing, right? And it was like, cool, okay. And David's older brother, who is cowering with the others, here's David having these conversations. And maybe, and maybe this is because he was trying to cover for his own weaknesses. We don't really know. But he begins to try to cut David down. Hey, David, who's watching your sheep? What are you doing out here? You can't do anything about this guy. You might as well go back home. You just came to watch the grown-ups do the hard stuff, right? You're just here for the show. And in verse 30, it's subtle, but we see David's response. It says this of David. He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. Friends, as we are learning to act on the direction of the Holy Spirit, replying and responding to the direction that, that, that at times may even seem impossible, one final place that we must learn to repent is to repent of listening to the voices that tell us we can't. Tell us, you can't do what God's asking you to do. You can't pursue Jesus like that. You're not one of those people. It's not in you. It's not in your history. It's not in your character. And like David, we get to simply turn away from those voices and listen to others. Whatever God calls us to, God equips us for. And God is calling you. <laughs> God's Holy Spirit is inviting you to repent of unbelief and, and mistaken righteousness and, and limited justice. This is a call 
to a complete trust, a new way of living, because Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Will we then today, friends, choose that kingdom? Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.